Welcome to the Days of Dev podcast. I am your host, Kevin Lasht, and my guest on this episode is Nina Baliga. Nina is the CEO of Diversity, a company focused on pairing technology candidates with healthy organizations. Companies focused on inclusion, on diversity, and who demonstrate a growth mindset. On the show, we move through all of those topics. From exercises that you can bring to your teams tomorrow to foundational principles for building successful and inclusive systems. I really enjoyed this one because we got to dig into a lot of topics that you just can't find much coverage on. I learned a ton speaking with Nina, and I think you will too. So now, my conversation with Nina Baliga. 78 degrees and sunny on this summer day off of Pearl Street. I actually saw someone juggling with with fire batons walking in today. The Flatiron Mountains outside. Nina Baliga is my guest. Nina, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You know, I'm so happy that we were able to align schedules. You just returned from Act W Portland, uh, the conference Advancing the Careers of Technical Women, invited you to speak on, your topic was creating space for mental health in the workplace. And I thought we could open by learning more about what the talk was about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I have this startup called Diversity, and when I typically talk about, or when people think the word diversity, they tend to think race and gender, right? And um, when I think about diversity, I really think about all the different ways people are underrepresented. Um, me, I'm a woman of color, but I'm also neurodivergent. So when I talk about neurodiversity, it's the, the way that people's brains are basically made up different. And so uh, it could be related to mood disorders or you know, being on the autism spectrum, spectrum having ADHD, um, being bipolar. Um, these are all types of ways to be neurodiverse and I'm also a neurodiverse individual. So whenever I go to conferences, what I wanna see is if they're gonna talk about diversity, we need to go about it and say that diversity isn't just race and gender. And so the talk that I brought there was talking about mental health in the workplace, because that has to be an important part of the diversity conversation. So I specifically went there, and the name of my talk was called Logging In, Creating a Inclusive Place for Mental Health in the Workplace. Yeah, I do love putting light on that too, because yeah, admittedly, until you know, I joined, um, I would say like the real workforce. You know, prior, um, you know, my experience came from a bunch of internships at true startups, like only a few people. Um, but admittedly, yeah, I side diversity as like just race and 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 maybe age in there, and then obviously gender as well. Um, but to your point, yeah, there is such a, a broader spectrum um, that is, I think, very easily uh, forgotten unless you're just exposed uh, to that line of thought. Exactly. And that was that was exactly what I was trying to go for when I went and spoke about it. And um, I actually spoke twice about it. One, They had an Achieving Equity Summit followed by their national conference, and I spoke at both events. And, um, you know, the main thing I wanted people to walk away from this talk was that, you know, one, knowing what neurodiversity is, but then two, 
knowing how to get those conversations started at your company. And if you were a person in power, are a person in power, if you're a manager, a director, the CEO, how can you start implementing changes at your company to actually create inclusive spaces for the neurodiverse? Because one of the things I've learned since I've started up diversity is that if you're from any kind of underrepresented group, there's usually, there's a high intersection of needs, wants, and values amongst all people from underrepresented communities. And so if you create an inclusive environment for one group, you've kind of inherently started creating inclusive environments for all these other groups. Um, and one of the things that we don't talk about is that nearly 50% of people in tech are neurodiverse. It's a very high percentage. and yet it's a conversation we're not having when it comes to the diversity conversation. So I wanted to bring that to the table, and when you start creating inclusive environments for the neurodiverse, which every company should if 50% of your employees are neurodiverse, then you started creating inclusive places for people of color, for women, for people with visible and invisible disabilities, for the LGBTQ community, et cetera. Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned on the Boulder podcast, the Boulder Tech podcast too, and it was something that really jumped out and is another, yeah, hard to, I think, hard thing to have in the front of your mind is those invisible disabilities, whether they be anxiety or, you know, anything else that that can absolutely have an impact on someone's daily working life. And I think so, so much to talk about here, but you hit on a couple things uh, that I would love to dig into while we're still on the train of thought. And one is uh, things that companies can be doing to sort of best foster um, just a, a comfortable atmosphere for, you know, whatever a, a given person might uh, might need to have accommodated. And I'm wondering what you have seen in your experience, you know, building diversity. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you've been growing your team recently um, and that what I really enjoyed is something um, you mentioned was accommodating different working preferences. And the things that jump out to me as working preferences are maybe, you know, working from home, working remotely, or, you know, having flexible work hours, you know, whether it's, you know, maybe you've got core hours going from 10 to four to accommodate the, the maybe late riser or the parent that needs to get to soccer practice. Uh, but the one that I'd love to hit on would be, so working from home, you know, we've got a very generous work from home policy uh, at the company that I work for. And I take advantage of it all the time. And it's as simple as, you know, we use Slack, uh, the chat program, simple as jumping into Slack in the morning, you know, maybe for whatever reason, you're just not feeling 100%. You don't want to make it into the office. And it is as simple as just dropping in, you know, working from home today. That's it. And you can always expect, you know, tons of support. You know, it's just thumbs up emojis. Everyone understands. Um, but at the same time, you know, and I, granted, I've worked... Uh, in such an atmosphere, like an awesome atmosphere like this for about three and a half years now. But still, every time I, you know, drop that note into Slack, there's just, I don't know where it comes from, but there's just like a little underlying anxiety, like, oh, like, is it okay that I'm doing this? And uh, yeah, I just wonder, like, from an individual's perspective, right? Like, what what can you offer to to best help the uh, someone like me, right? Like best broach those kinds of things, and maybe it doesn't even have to be specific to working from home, but other kind of workplace needs that that someone might need to to raise up. Yeah, you know, I I a hundred percent relate to what you're saying. Um, when I have had held uh, the tr traditional Monday through Friday nine to five job, 
And there were days where, you know, it was really hard for me to get out of bed. Um, there were days where, um, you know, it was largely due to my depression and anxiety. And the more high stress the work environment was, the more it triggered a lot of this stuff. And it was hard to call in. So I would call in sick. And the thing is, there's something about the company corporate culture that says, if you call in sick, you need to explain what kind of sick you are. There's mm. something that's been built into our culture to ingrain that. So my excuse was because, you know, talking about mental health was so taboo and, you know, being depressed was just not considered a, a brain thing, but more of just you're lazy. You know, I was really scary to disclose it. So I would just make up stuff <laughs> like, oh, I have a migraine today or, you know, oh, I have this really bad flu. Um, and, you know, for some reason, that's what made it feel OK to me. And I don't know if it actually made my bosses feel better, but it felt better for me to, to say that than to say I'm really having a bad day today. Sure. And uh, let's talk about my depression, which I didn't really want to go into um, because I knew that I was going to get discriminated against for this. This is like the early 2000s when I was experiencing this. So I learned, I actually met um, Lance Powers uh, about two years ago and he works with a, a nonprofit. He's the founder of a, a nonprofit organization called Open Labs. And what they do is they've created a community where they talk about neurodiversity in the workplace. And Lance told me about this really cool idea called the traffic light check-in. So what I started doing with my team when I started building my team was the idea of the traffic light check-in is that one, when I onboarded my team, we immediately started talking about neurodiversity and saying, you know, on day one, like, here's how Slack works, here's how we do our email communications, and also here's this article about neurodiversity and recognizing that we all have different ways that we work and, you know, this is an open conversation that you should be talking about this. You can talk about this with me, about what do you need, what are the accommodations that you need for you to perform at your best. So that was onboarding. So then when, we, when I introduced the idea of the traffic light check-in, which was also introduced during the onboarding process, it was a way to say every day when we're doing our daily check-in, we're going to let the team know which of the three lights we are. Mm. So green means I'm, a, I'm sharp, I'm good to go, I'm ready to hit the ground running, I'm in a, in a really good space. Yellow means I might not be at my optimal today, but I can still function and I can still do all my duties. And red just means I am suboptimal today and that's it. And that's all you really need to know. And the fact is, is when we did our traffic light check-ins, the simple act of saying we're red, green, or yellow was one word that didn't have to say the whys behind it. Because the whys at the end of the day aren't really anybody's business. What we need to know is how best to work with our teammates at any given day. So when certain team members were saying having a red day, then the other team members already felt invested in helping them out because every day we were doing that check-in. So it wasn't a question of like, oh, that person's red, they're not gonna be able to contribute today. It was like, okay, well, we're already talking about what are the list of things that need to get done. And then the other team members are like, I think I can step up and help with this, or I can step up and help with that. Or the person who was having a red day said, look, I'm going to be in spreadsheet mode today. I'm not going to be able to give you lots of great creative thinking. So if you can hand off some of that work to me, I can, I can do that better. Um, and the thing is, is like everyone's different. And everyone's green, yellow, and red is different. And if you start doing these traffic light check-ins, 
you start getting a sense of like, what does that mean for each person and how best to work with that person and how the team can work together to like ultimately achieve their goals. And honestly, you know, my team was neurodiverse. My team has both visible and invisible disabilities. And the vast majority of the time it's green. And so, but it was good to have that space where you could say you were yellow or red and you didn't have to say the why behind it. I love that practice. And that is called the traffic light check-in. Yeah. Lance Powers Open Lab. Yeah, Lance Powers from Open Labs. Okay, I will have to look into that more because yeah, to, to relay a story there. So I think the what you hit on, which is not having to give the why, I think is such an important element of that um, because so, so many different reasons that you might go from like a green to a yellow to a red and just not having to carry the stress of maybe expanding on those things, I think is such an important element. And it's a very natural, I feel like even as an individual certainly is going to be different from person to person. But for me, at least it's very natural to just expand on like why I'm feeling, you know, one way or another, but then you sort of have to take a step back too and realize that depending on what you're saying, those could, you know, give off perceptions or, you know, um, maybe connotations to other members of the team that could have cascading effects. Um, You know, one example being when you talk about, you know, sort of these, whether it be anxiety or any other, um, you know, invisible kind of disability, um, I don't want to say taboo, but there's almost like an underlying, you know, suppression of like talking about these things Mm -hmm. sometimes. And, you know, one that hits me sometimes is just candidly mental fatigue. And, you know, so a developer that I worked with, I think framed it very well. uh, But it sometimes for me comes out of, you know, pairing sessions with candidates, you know, uh, the traditional practice of just being an engineer is very, um, isolated and that you're just working in front of a computer and there's a lot of things happening in the background, just background processes. But then when you pair with someone, you sort of have to turn, you have to vocalize everything. You're constantly, you know, uh, sort of not necessarily defending, but collaborating, maybe a better way to say it, uh, your work and just bouncing ideas off of each other. And that's a very taxing thing. And when you stretch that out over the course of maybe a ticket that runs like a few days, maybe a whole week, a big feature, right? Uh, that carries a weight to it. And then it's like, yeah, you might release that ticket and you ride the high of like finally getting the feature out, but then you crash off that realizing like just how spent you are, uh, you know, coming out of that kind of session. And uh, I think then being able to like have a supportive and open space to say like, maybe I might not be able to get anything done today. Or if I am getting something done, like it's going to be by myself. Depending on how you voice that, you could easily sort of send the impression that you don't like pairing or something like that. And for me, right, that's not the case at all. I love pairing. It's just, you know, you might need some some breaks, some gaps in between those things. So to be able to just uh, go through the traffic light check-in and, and just signal where you are at based on just a very almost binary reliance of like good or, you know, or not even framing it around like good or bad, but just like, here's where I'm at. Uh, I think that's a valuable tool to have. I love that exercise. Yeah. And if it's part of your daily check-ins, then it doesn't become a big deal. Like you start realizing that every single person has days where they're just suboptimal and there are certain days where they're going to be like more than optimal, Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and you know, it's about figuring out how to take advantage of those times and, um, and how do you support your team in the process of doing that? So like, you know, in that case you described like you guys knocked it out of the park 
because you were pairing. Um, and that's okay for you to have a day where you're exhausted because there are going to be other members of the team who can, you know, step up or, you know, work together to figure out how to get to that end goal. So as far as building a supportive team goes, um, I think there are, uh, well, I'm sure many more, but the two that jump out to me as far as elements to, to build towards are just having a strong candidate pipeline and then also having a strong idea of how to uh, keep the group that you already have engaged and of just a growth mindset for diversity, for inclusion, and for everything else that comes along with that. So I'm wondering, you know, as you've been scaling up to uh, your platform, Diversity, um, if you could relay, you know, uh, what strong attributes you and the team have been looking for when like vetting, interviewing for a role. And then also for the team that you already have, what what practices you're putting in place to just really build uh, what is a supportive group? Yeah. I mean, I think company culture is everything. Like, are you putting people above all else? Um, and that was a, a core tenet of, uh, of our company when we first started it was that um, you know, we know that companies that value diversity and inclusion are more profitable. Um, and so that means that there are going to be times where we forego short-term profitability for, you know, the make the making the case for the long-term. And so that means, um, investing in people very early on being really transparent, um, about where we are and what we're doing, um, and how we plan on getting there. So that way everyone feels like the mission is not just the mission of the CEO, but it's, it's their mission too, to try and get us there. And I think that that played a pretty big role in terms of everyone getting on board and feeling invested, um, not just in the company, but in each other and recognizing that the success of each other also leads to the success of the company. Um, but this kind of thinking has to come from the C-level. I think too often companies tend to be like, oh, after we've already built the company, let's think about diversity and inclusion. And then they go to HR and HR says, okay, come up with a diversity and inclusion policy. And it's, it's so much more than that. Inclusion is about how are you building the company culture from every single level? And it's not just a side thought on just one piece, but how is it built into your hiring practices? How is it built into your onboarding practice? How is it built into the company culture on a daily basis? How is it even being built into your exit interviews? Mm. Um, and so everything has to be thought about in all of those ways. And, you know, that message really only gets conveyed to everybody if it's coming from the C-level. That's kind of the common theme I've seen is that if you relegate it to HR, there's usually only so much power you know, they have to do stuff. And granted, I have seen HR departments do a great job with it. But in general, it's really most effective when the C-level says, like, this is a priority for us and we need to make sure that our sales department is bought onto this, our marketing department is bought into this, our tech, our tech team's bought into this, and that every single vertical and every single channel has this built into their blood. Yes, I think it's so so investing in people, as you said, I think is the most important attribute to just um, 
as I've seen from my experience, like establish a strong culture. I think, you know, at Home Chef, where I'm employed, uh, fortunate that uh, Matt Pulley, our CTO, puts such a strong focus on it. And I think, as you mentioned, it has to come from the top down. So some history of Home Chef, uh, Pat Vitalik, our founder, he came out of a program called Starter League, which was a boot camp, I think, in a sense, uh, aimed towards um, launching startups. So had a technical focus to it. But I want to say it also carried some like business knowledge as well. And so, so from the very beginning, uh, he, Matt, and the rest of our uh, you know technology and executive team have really put a strong emphasis towards you know growth from within hiring those apprentice junior level candidates and then uh, graduating them up. And then you hope that you're just leading them in the right direction. And I think that retention and expanding the team in to more, you know, mid-level and senior level engineers does demonstrate that. Um, But then as part of that growth too, you want to make sure that you're maintaining that inclusive atmosphere. Uh, But yes, as you said, I think just investing in people and, and having that message be communicated from the top down is is essential for for these things to to take hold and to have success with them. Yeah, I mean the the turnover rate in the tech sector is is really high. Like I, I remember going to a tech conference and one of the people there was saying that you know the, especially in the engineer space, like there's a twenty percent turnover rate that they they just built it into their plan that we're going to have a twenty percent really? turnover rate. So that means they're constantly in recruiting mode all the time, and. That's exhausting, and that's also just a huge amount of resources that you know the companies are spending on just recruiting. And the thing is, is that you know the apprenticeship model I think is a really interesting thing, and I've seen this work at a couple of different companies where if you bring folks in who typically wouldn't have had that chance, right, to get in the door, and you say right from the beginning, we value you, we hear you, and we're going to train you, and we're going to help you build the skills the retention rates just skyrocket. I mean, the the folks who get, get in from the ground with that mindset of this company cares about me, it shows them that they have a path to success. They have a path to growth. And the thing is, is that the senior, the mid and senior level engineers who are also helping to apprentice them, they're also seeing that path to growth too, um, because that gives them an opportunity to teach, and teaching is one of the best way to learn. And you know, when you're giving every person at the level that, when the, the folks at the higher levels are seeing the company values people at all levels, the retention rates will also skyrocket. And you've seen, I've seen this at multiple companies already. So what I want to see is more apprenticeship programs coming into uh, companies. I would love to see more companies say, you know, one of the ways we're showing that we value people is by recognizing that we can bring folks in. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone from the outside. Um, I've seen this where companies have brought, uh, kind of taken folks who are working in IT and then asked them if they were interested in doing this six-month software engineering apprenticeship inside their company, and now they're full-time engineers. So those are all just great ways. And those, those engineers, I've asked them, well, how do they like working there? And they're like, I can't imagine myself ever leaving. I love yeah. this company. I think there's a loyalty built there. And so would love to play off that to give you a story back. Um, so we have brought a number of team members over from customer support to other 
other areas of the company. And uh, those team members are are so valuable, the most valuable. Uh, they've they've been the closest to the product as far as just feeling fielding you know customer calls and emails uh, and having to work with these customers through the the bugs that we may release onto the site or like you know whatever other tricky workflows might be in place they know the web product inside and out they know the physical product they know the logistics of the company and it's just awesome to yeah whether the apprentice is coming from outside or inside the company i think you nailed it in that when you demonstrate and show off that there is a vertical there is a path others have done it and it's just on you to really make your way there. Uh, there is just a tremendous amount of, I think, um, not only respect, but just drive that comes with that, uh, to know that the opportunity is available for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as far as, you know, once you've got the team together, uh, maintaining it, you know, one of the elements towards essentially fostering that continuous growth that we caught up a little bit about before the show is that of employee resource groups. And I'd love to know, so when I think of an, when I thought of an employee resource group, but before I had, you know, more exposure towards them, I was really just thinking of maybe like a book club or something like that, uh, you know, very narrow mindset. And I was wondering if you could give us some more examples of just what an employee resource group group is to begin. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the purpose of an employee resource group is not just to provide, uh, well, I think it's got multiple purposes. So one of the reasons an employee resource group is important is when it creates a safe space for people with a shared identity to get together and be able to talk about any issues they want, whether it be outside of the company or issues inside the company as it relates to their identity. Um, that's really important because if you are from an underrepresented group and you are the only person on the team from that underrepresented group, it could you could start to feel really lonely. And so if you have a space, especially if your company's large enough where there are gonna be multiple employees from these underrepresented groups, then having that place to go and say, hey, we both know what it's like to work here, even if it's sharing stories, like here's what's happening in my department, what's happening in your department. All right, well, how are you approaching it? Maybe I can approach it that way or approach it a different way, or maybe we can go at this together. And you know, if the employee resource group's big enough, that's kind of when there's this huge opportunity, and this is the second reason why ERGs are really important, is that it provides an opportunity for advocacy inside the company. So as a group, when you have all these voices together saying, hey, this company's really missing out on this opportunity to be inclusive of our group, for example, then there's a you have this gathered voice that's got power to go to the C-level and say, we need to make these changes. And if the C-level is smart, they'll listen to those ERGs and say, you're right, let's figure out how to do this. And then those conversations can start happening. Um, I think the other thing is that when companies are thinking about starting off ERGs, there's so many different types of ERGs coming out. You know, I know that there tend to be, uh, you know, race-based ERGs. There's you know, you talked about Home Chef having one for parents. A lot of the places that a lot of these companies start off is having ERGs for women. Um, but one of the things I had talked about uh, was talking about uh, neurodiversity ERG. Mm -hmm. And given that 50% of your employees are probably neurodivergent, creating an ERG that allows that space and discussion to start can, again, 
bring up awareness around things that folks in the executive level might never have thought about. And by doing that, they can create these like new policies, practices, maybe bring in trainings on how to create a more inclusive culture for everyone. What's awesome about that, that um, I had never considered was just the idea of, yeah, recognizing these cross-department problems. And essentially, I have to imagine, too, that when those are collected from, you know, all angles of an organization and then filtered up towards, yeah, the C-level, they've got to have, like, such a stronger voice when you've just got allies, you know, everywhere across the organization. And probably really good, too, for just identifying, yeah, things that are sometimes very, very easy to miss. What I was thinking of there was just the the idea of building those cross-functional threads. You know, whether it be um, a story I always think about is Marissa Meyer um, talks about when she was building the associate product manager program at Google. This was very early in the uh, life cycle of what Google has now become. But she was tasked with basically... Uh, hiring up all of these junior level product managers, putting them in charge of very big products, like saying, you are now in charge of ads, go. And she talks about this, by the way, we'll drop it in the show notes, but on, I believe it's Reed Hoffman's Masters of Scale podcast. And so she hires up all these junior level product managers and they're tasked with all these different functions of the company and they're stumbling through it together, right? But they're they're catching up, they're having, you know, they're they're far across the company, but they're coming together on some cadence and they're talking about the problems they've worked through and just the struggles. And through those conversations, they're developing this just underlying network and uh, of threads across the organization. And she saw the value of that grow as along with these, you know, uh, individuals as they graduated throughout the organization. They were maintaining those connections. They knew they had allies out there. They were able to have, you know, members of other departments with different viewpoints to bounce ideas off of. And yeah, I think just the idea of having, um, you know, these resource groups be cross-functional is is such a valuable thing and that you're able to get out of the atmosphere that is your own department. You might be entirely diverse within your own department, but then being able to branch out and seeing how other departments function, because it could be in a big company, totally different, uh, just offers that another layer of diversity in a sense. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a very powerful part about the, the ERG model. It's got to be implemented in the right way, though. You know, sure. like um, I think one of the common themes I hear from employee resource groups is that, um, you know, they're more of like uh, they don't get a lot of resources from the company. Mm. And so one of the things that I think companies should think about if they're truly invested in ERGs is to think through, like, how much money are you giving them? And are you giving them enough resources to be able to be effective at what they want to do and what will be best for the company too. And so um, part of it could be actually paying the organizer because oftentimes when it comes to underrepresented groups, we're asked to do multiple jobs, right? We're asked to do our full-time engineering job. And then we're also said, oh, by the way, you're also going to be our diversity and inclusion person because we don't know where else to go. And then therefore that's going to be your second job. And it's so hard for people from underrepresented groups to say no to that. Um, And, you know, what a company can do to acknowledge that this is really important is to say, 
we will pay you for this. We, we know this is extra work that you're doing. Um, and so whether it's the, the heads of ERGs or even the person that, if you don't even have ERGs yet, but you're asking that person all the time for their support, advice, work on any diversity and inclusion initiative, then making sure you're, you're compensating that and show that you value it. Absolutely. I think that is such an important signal, just the fact that you need to, from, I think, the leadership perspective, express that your team members' time is valuable and is is accounted for, too, because I think there's anxiety that can come along with that. You know, I think back to you know, we scaled up the team at Home Chef not too long ago. And what I really appreciated from our leadership team was everyone was being scheduled into interviews, you know, near every single day. And we had to, you know, we needed to grow the team. Um, But along with that, you know, we still had tasks that needed to get done. And we still had, you know, tickets to drive forward. And it was a very open conversation. You know, we got all the product managers together and our executive team across the organization was very understanding of this being a long tail play, you know, whether it's a hiring push or, you know, investing time into an employee resource group. It's so important to have just a communal understanding that, you know, there might be some short term time sacrifice towards driving, you know, whatever the initiative on deck is forward. But the long term benefits are just going to so much outweigh any any of that, you know, immediate uh, sacrifice. Absolutely. Um, So maybe coming back full circle to diversity, we at some point, you know, need to play into uh, the name of the show, Day as a Dev. I wonder if as we get close to wrapping up here, uh, wouldn't want to go an episode without getting a look at what your day as CEO looks like. Can you give us maybe in however much detail you want to go into, what does a day as a CEO of diversity look like? Oh, man. I mean, I think when you're a CEO of a small bootstrap startup, you are wearing all the hats, right? You're, you're, you're the chief marketing officer. You're the director of sales. You know, you're the, the t- chief product development manager. You know, I am the UX designer. <laughs> I, <laughs> I do some of the coding. Like, I, I, I have my, my fingers in all the different pies because... I am the person that needs to drive this forward. Um, and so, you know, I don't think that there's necessarily any typical day in the life of what I'm doing. Um, you know, some days uh, I'm meeting with companies and talking to them about what are they doing around diversity and inclusion. And then, um, you know, other days, like we, we've started offering a training, actually. So one of my coders is deaf. And John and I, in the process of working together over six months, we discovered all these cool tools you could use to improve communications between a hearing person and a deaf person. But all these same tools would actually improve performance of all team communications, even if it's a fully hearing team. And we said, we learned that there are no resources out there for this. There's no resources that really talk about how to work with a deaf in tech specifically. So we put together a training for this that we're now offering companies on how exactly can they implement some of these things, what tools they can leverage to improve internal communications and how they can find and hire deaf people to work on their coding teams. Um, You know, that's just one example of something that came out. I've also been going on, you know, speaking about neurodiversity across the country. I'm also deep into product development 
where I'm working with my CTO on, on figuring out ways to uh, improve our platform, uh, looking at the Google Analytics, the metrics, looking at all of our dashboards to figure out what's happening, who's coming to our site, how are they using our site, and how can we improve that overall user experience. Those are part of the things that I'm doing every single day. Um, it's just a question of how do I prioritize my time based on you know the specific goals of what I want to achieve on a quarterly basis, on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis, and a daily basis. The ever- and ongoing struggle of time prioritization. Yes, yes. I think. Uh, but yes, on time, we do want to get you back to it. Uh, HireDiversity.us. We'll have links in the show notes. Such an exciting platform. And even just there, you hit on so many elements that um, led me to, yeah, wanting to get you on the show. I'm so happy that you could join. Um, the one last thing to hit on there is just that, yeah, offering those resources. You know, as we talked about, even with Day as a Dev here, I think it's so difficult as, you know, and especially so for whether it be a student or a career changer, someone just entering the tech field to get eyes on just what, um, not only the day-to-day is going to look like, but what the the culture of these you know teams actually looks like. So that's exactly what our, our platform is trying to do. So what the way I describe what diversity is, we, we've built the glass door for inclusion. So it's a place where companies can go and highlight what they're doing to create inclusive environments. And then tech talent from underrepresented groups can go in there and share what their unique experiences are like. And so the ultimate goal is that we've created a community where you can start seeing where are the best places to work, where are the places where you can be seen, heard, and valued, and um, where can you find jobs at those companies. So companies that have created uh, profiles on our platform are actually allowed to post jobs. So that way, if you're an engineer, developer, uh, looking for a job in the industry, uh, you go to our site, not only will you be able to see kind of the job description, you'll also see what are they doing around diversity and inclusion through that lens of an underrepresented minority. Yeah, having that comfortable fit, I think, is just so valuable for both sides. You know, the individual, their well-being, and also the eventual, you know, productivity of the company itself. Um, so thank you so much, Nina. Uh, this has been great. We're going to bring the episode to a close. But do you have any parting, any parting words for our listeners out there? I think it's important for companies to recognize that when they're bringing people on, that everyone wants to be seen, valued, and heard and everyone wants an opportunity to grow. And so as the message for companies really is, think about how you can make that happen. And then for tech talent, the only way to make more companies do that is to go work for companies that do that. So if you're gonna spend your time and energy towards any company, spend it on the companies that are being more inclusive. Thank you. Nina, appreciate the time. Thank you. For show notes and more on this episode, head on up to the site. That's dayasadev.com. While you're there, check out our release notes. This is a short newsletter that we send out about once a week. It includes updates along with all sorts of other goodies packaged up for your inbox. Thanks for listening. For the Day as a Dev podcast, I'm Kevin Lasht.